0: I wish there was time sufficient for me to tell you uh, how much I love you, how much I appreciate the sweet privilege to be here with you. Uh, But please just take it from my heart to yours uh, that my heart is enlarged towards you this morning. I love you freely for Christ's sake. Your fond and warm expressions of love and kindness to me since I've been here have overwhelmed my soul. I am very touched and I will carry each one of you home with me in my heart as I leave this place. In my thoughts and prayers and careful meditation, I will think about your sweet faces in the days to come as I hope that you will think about mine selfishly. I covet your prayers, I need your prayers, your fellowship and your love and it's meant so much to me as brother Chris said over the course of many, many years, I have uh, stated already my great love for these two faithful and true yoke fellows. I will tell you, I've been going this way um, since I was a 14 year old boy. I've been trying to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And over the course of the years, I began with many. And uh, there are many that no longer walk this way anymore. And it breaks my heart. I could spend a long time going down a long list of men who have turned aside for one reason or another. And so uh, at this season of my life, as I look out and I see two dear men like these dear men who are still holding high the bloodstained banner, it melts my heart and I love them greatly. Now, if you wanna hear more about how much I love you, if you'll come to McClinney, Florida and McClinney Primitive Baptist Church I'll carry you home with me, and I'll keep you up all night telling you how much I love you. Uh, <clears throat> but for now, uh, I'm going to I'm going to dispense with the preliminaries because of the lateness of the hour. Very quickly, many years ago, probably 35 years ago, in a wonderful devotional that was written by a dear main, man named Paul Lee Tan. 35 years ago, I bought this in a Christian bookstore. In the the uh, book, the uh, price of book. Would you hand me that handkerchief right there? Thank you so much. I'm sorry. God doesn't lose things. David Crawford does. <laughs> um, 35 years ago, Paul Lee Tan, a devotional, Christian bookstore, I brought home, it home. It's worth the price of this story. So in Madrid, Spain, the largest city in Madrid, Spain, three and a half million people in Madrid, Spain, there was a mother of a young man, the most common name over there for young men, Pedro. Pedro was his name, Pedro struggled as he reached adolescence, and by the time he was a young adult, Pedro had done it all, seen it all, he had just broken the heart of his mother and father, and uh, had all but destroyed his life, left home, he was sleeping underneath viaducts, overpasses, uh, living hand to mouth, had been in and out of jail, and his godly mother and father, he had just broken their hearts. And so I think about this story every Mother's Day. And uh, so as Mother's Day in Spain arrived, his mother took out an ad in the large daily, uh, the large Madrid Daily newspaper. They, young folks, those are things that you, they put news in them. And they, <laughs> um, I don't know the last time I read a newspaper. Uh, but the Madrid daily, and it went all over Spain. The Madrid daily went all over Spain. So she took out a large ad as Mother's Day was coming. And so she wrote in the ad, she said, "Pedro, all is forgiven. Please come home. I'll be waiting for you at the bus stop." This actually happened. I'll be waiting for you at the bus stop at eight o'clock on Mother's Day. Eight o'clock in the morning on Mother's Day, Pedro. Please come home. It won't cost nothing. It's all forgiven. It's all over with. And uh, Mother's Day came at eight o'clock. She went to the bus station. There were 250 Pedro's that had shown up that morning. (laughs) Pedro, shake a bush and a Pedro fell out. It was wonderful. You know, um, I was very interested, and still do remember, there's a place for classical apologetics, there is. There's a place for classical apologetics. You know, convincing folks with the right, you know, being able to argue the truth rightly, correctly, and compelling arguments, and convincing folks to compel. That's not the beauty of the church, though. The story of Pedro's, the beauty of the church. There's one message that I ask God, please allow me to preach it at least once a year before I die. Every year, please. So today, I'm going to try to share that message with you very, very quickly. So uh, Luke chapter 15. Then, this is uh, is the only charge they could find against the Lord Jesus Christ, by the way. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. That means... Publicans, the worst form of a sinner. I was a, about 13 years old at a little church out from uh Medela, Florida, Harmony Church. I heard a preacher got up and he read his text that morning and said, Then drew near unto him all the Republicans and sinners unto Jesus. And I'm the older I get, the more thankful I'm now He takes Republicans too. That's great. <laughs> then drew near all the publicans and sinners, 40 hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes, murmured. That's the two groups. You got the publicans and sinners on one side, and you got the Pharisees and scribes on the other side. You got the very good folks on one side, and you have the very bad folks on the other side. You've got the righteous on one side, and you've got the unrighteous on the other side. The lines drawn in Luke chapter fifteen, and they murmured, and this is the char- and it was a correct charge against the Son of God. They said, "This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them." And so he spake this parable unto them, saying, and he talked about three things, and this is. This Luke chapter 15 is about what our attitude should be about things that are restored and ultimately about the uh, person of the Lord Jesus Christ who is and what He came to do. But ultimately, what our attitude is that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ should be about things that are restored. And so there's a story of a sheep that's lost is found, a coin that's lost is found, and a young son that's lost is found, and then an older son that's lost, but he's not found. <laughs> What our attitude should be about things that are lost but is found. And therein lies the beauty of the church. That's the most attractive thing about a good, healthy New Testament church is a church that has a great attitude about things that are restored. That attracts sinners better than anything else that I know of. Things are restored. And so we're going to... We're going to get down to verse 11 very quickly. A certain man had two sons. And uh, the younger of them said to his father, all right, here it is. Father, give me the portions of goods. Give me the portions of goods that follow to me. And he divided unto them his living. That's real important that you remember that portion. He divides unto them his living. That means everything he possesses, he gives to them. It's as if he died. He divides the inheritance. Among them, Uh, in Eastern cultures and traditional cultures, it still goes on today. In that day, under the law, the elder son would have gotten two-thirds of everything. The younger son would have gotten one-third of everything. The father, this is important to remember for the sword, the father divided, not, we think about the younger son getting his portion, right? But that's not it. He divided unto them his, they both got what was coming to them in in the event the father had died he does it while he's alive sometimes parents do that today they they create irrevocable uh they they create irrevocable trust they put everything they have in the trust they can't get it back it already belongs to the kids functionally so this father went his stepfather, he just went ahead and get it. it wasn't put in a trust he just went ahead and gave it to both of them two-thirds to the older one-third to the younger one and you know how that works out for the younger one not many days after the younger son gathered all together, took his journey in a far country, and there he wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he spent all that he had, there rose a mighty fame in the land, and he began to be in want. Sometimes, parents, it's tough. We need to let our kids fail sometimes, right? Can't keep giving them golden parachutes. And when he spent all that he had, the rose mighty family mighty began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Last place a Jewish boy ought to be. And he went, when he would have fain filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, no man gave unto him. When he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough to, to spare? And I perish with hunger. Now here's his plan. Here's his plan, and it's a good plan. And it's a plan, his plan for restoration is a plan that the rabbis of his day would have agreed with. It was in line with the, uh, with the Talmud. It was in line with the principles of the Talmud whenever it comes to restoration. This is what he said I'm going to do. He said, I know I'm, it's not working out for me here. That my father has servants in his house. They have. Uh, he says, when he came to himself, the hired servants of my fathers have bread enough of that to spare. I'm perishing with hunger. Listen to what he says. Here's his plan. I'll arise. I'll go to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee. I'm not worthy to be called thy son. He got that right. He goes in confessing. His wrong. Now listen, when God gets hard, when God gets hold of the heart of a sinner, they, it's, they don't repent carefully. You know, it's with all, of, I've sinned against heaven and against thee. You know, those kind of, I've never understood those kind of apologies. Listen, if you're offended, if uh, I'm sorry, if you're offended because of what i am done. I'm sorry if you've gotten upset because of what i am done. I'm sorry that you're upset. I'm what, are you apologizing for what I've done or for what you... That's not him. That's not what he's doing. He's saying, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against thee, and I'm not worthy to be called your son. And then he says uh, that he's going to do this. He said, make me one of thy hired servants. He's got a plan for restitution. I'm going to go confess my sin. That's correct. That's right. But then he says, I'm going to become like a skilled tradesman. That's what it means, hired servant. It's not just a flunky but I'm going to come like a journeyman, a turned-out carpenter, turned-out uh, a car-carrying electrician. Somebody that's very skilled, highly paid, high-wage earner. I'll restore to him everything that he's lost. And uh, he came to self. And so uh, he arose and goes to his father. And when he was a great off, his father saw him and he had compassion ran, fell on his neck, and he kissed him. And so the son goes into a statement. He says, Father, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be called your son. I've sinned against heaven and against you and he's about to give him his plan. And the word of God says, but the father said to his servants, father cut him off. He didn't get a chance to get his whole plan of restitution out. The father cuts him off. Father says to his servants, bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger. And so they have a great time. Kill the fatted calf. Now the elder son's in the field. In verse 25, is in the field. And he comes close to the house and he hears music and dancing. They're having a party. And he's wondering what's going on. And one of the servants go out and tells him what those things mean. And he says, your young brother's come home. The father's killed the fatted calf uh, and received him safe and sound. Now listen, the fatted calf was a big deal. Everybody didn't have a fatted calf. It's one thing to kill a kid or a goat, but uh, a, a kid which is a goat. But uh, to kill the fatted calf, that would, that would be for a special event. My son, God willing, is going to get married uh, on Friday before Thanksgiving. That's a, once in a lifetime, That's a once-in-a-lifetime event, we pray and uh, we're willing to a great time that, it would be you know that kind of deal once in a lifetime once every five years you'd kill a fatted calf you wouldn't just kill one you know every thanksgiving every christmas it wouldn't be like that they're very very special animals and so the fathers killed the special animal and uh uh, your, your, your brother's come home. He's killed a fatty calf. He's received him safe and sound. And the older son's angry. And he wouldn't go in. The father comes out and entreated him. And he answers his father. And he says, "Lo." Now, I'm going to say it just like the older son says. He says, "Lo." That's not low. That sounds kind of nice, isn't it? That's not the word. The word he says, look that's the way the older son speaks to the father that's the force of the language the older son looks at his father and he says look these many years do i serve thee and he's got an inflated opinion of himself he says neither transgressed i at any time thy commandment <laughs> i've been perfect that's what he just said i've been perfect i've never messed up uh, you know the younger son's lost in his badness the older son's lost in his goodness you see that Neither had I any time transgressed thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me even a kid, much less the fatted calf, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as your son, this thy son, not my brother, was come, which devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf, and said unto him, he said unto him, he said unto his oldest son, Son, thou art ever with me, all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this, thy brother is dead, and is alive again, was lost, and is found. Bringing Pedro home. (laughs) So, uh, this story would have just shocked the listeners. Now remember, this is the response of Jesus Christ to the Pharisees, and to the scribes, to the self-righteous, the legal eagles of his day, This is his response to them. This is how he answers them about this man, Jesus Christ, the one that, uh, you know, his apostles saying he's the Messiah, he's the Savior, he's receiving publicans, the worst form of sinners, and regular standard issue sinners. The Messiah wouldn't do that. God would not do that. And so Jesus Christ redefines the Father for them in this parable. He does. He redefines the Father. They get a different look. First of all, And the parable, as I've already told you, this young man's asking, this young man has essentially told his father, and the listeners would be shocked by this, the young man, the younger son, who who believes that life is all about one pleasure experience after another. That sounds a lot like our culture today, doesn't it? Some some people, you know, there's nothing, all we have, all you have right now is right now, right? That's that's, you know, the popular philosophy, uh, postmodernism behind our culture today. All that there is is right now. There's no happy hereafter. It's going on right now. So get all the gusto you can while you can right now because it's not going to get any better than this. This is all you got. So have all the pleasure you possibly can. So, you know, salvation for them for the people who are living for the world, is essentially one pleasure experience after the other because there's nothing after this. And that's the way the younger son's living. All that there is is the here and now, so I'm just going to have one pleasure experience after the other. And so he wants what's coming to him so he can have one pleasure experience after the other. And so he essentially tells the father, I wish you were dead. That's it. (laughs) Man, my son is the beat of my heart. I, I know there are other sons in this world, but there are times I think, no, he's the only son that's ever been. I love him so much. I can't imagine him. I can't imagine what that... The hearers would have been shocked to have heard a son comes up to a father and say, listen, I wish you were dead. He's telling, the, he's telling the father, I want your stuff. I want your stuff, but I don't want you. Can you imagine that? What that would feel like? I want your stuff, but I don't want you. And so he should have been driven out. They should have driven. He should have just been run out of town. And all those that were listening in that very traditional culture would have said, away with dispatch him, take off his head. He shouldn't be suffered to live. What kind of young man would do that? But yet, notice here, this father endures the humiliation, the pain of rejected love. That's a different look for the father, isn't it? In traditional cultures, the father's very aloof, very, you know, kind of flinty, very stoic, unfeeling. This father endures and suffers the pain and the hurt of rejected love. It's been my experience as a pastor over the past many years. There is no hurt in this world like the hurt of rejected love. I've had husbands and wives come to my house, come to my office, and... Tell me my wife of 20 years has just told me that she does not love me.
1: My husband
0: of 20 years has told me that that he does not love me. My child has just told me that they do not love me. That is, I mean, even greater than going with loved ones to the graves of their loved ones. That hurt is greater than any other hurt I have ever personally experienced as a pastor. And yet this father absorbs it. He endures it. What kind of father is that? He brings shame, he brings shame. And shame's a big deal for father. We're traditional fathers here in this church. Shame is a big deal. You know, I remember one of my sons bringing shame. So there's rejected love and then there's bringing shame and humiliation on the father that the father is going to endure the shame of it all. I remember my son, I was high school principal. My son's going into high school and we, have a, we live in a small rural county in Baker County. And uh, I was the principal of the sole high school, 1500 uh, kid high school in Baker County. I was, the sole, I was the principal of the only high school that we had. And I've been pastor in that community for 35 years. And so my son is about to become a, a freshman in the high school where I'm principal and in the community where I'm pastor. And so I've sit him, him down the summer before he goes into high school. I said, listen, son, I've been pastoring this community for 35 years. You're going into high school here and I'm the principal. No pressure, <laughs> no pressure. It's okay. (laughs) I'll take you out, boy. (laughs) Yes, sir. (laughs) But the father's reaction, he doesn't get mad, rejected love, nothing else hurts like it. And I told you uh, about the return. The rabbis taught restitution. And uh, not so with this father. He's going to work his plan. He's going to say, listen, I've got the plan. I've got it all drawn up. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to pay you back everything that I owe. Father, I've sinned against heaven, against thee. I'm no more worthy to be called your son. And the father just stops him. Stops him. The father saw him afar off. He was looking for him. He was waiting. He was praying. He was watching every single day. My father, whenever he was 17 years old, he was being exercised in church. Like brother, Tim, 17 years old, he was being exercised in the ministry. And so... um, uh, he, 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 he took Jonah's route. Let me say that. He took Jonah's route. He told his father, he said, don't call on me to make an effort anymore. I'm not going to make an effort anymore. The church felt like it was called to preach, but he said, I'm 17. I can't take the pressure. Leave me alone. Don't call on me anymore. And so my grandfather told him, said, son, you do what you got to do. I'll do what I have to. Next Sunday, he called on him. My father went home, packed his bags, took a train ticket from Orlando, Florida, to Tampa, Florida. He ran away from home. He left home. And uh, he was gone for a year. In the middle of the year, he went to an old Baptist church, back to Harmony Church in Medella, Florida. After about six months, he decided i wanted to go to church. He was working on a road crew, took a break from the road crew. He went to church on Sunday morning. And he walked in the back of the church and sat down and the pastor got up and he said, uh, we're happy to have uh, you all here this morning. The arrangement's been made and uh, we've arranged for Brother Cromer Crawford to speak to us first and that was my dad, speak to us first and sir, so he got up, walked out, got in his pickup truck and went back. He knew it was a bad idea to begin with. <laughs> I mean, he was taking Jonah's route and he said about six months later, he, he got to missing his mother so much and he thought he was going to die if he didn't go home and see his mother. And so in the middle of the night, he bought a train ticket from Tampa back to Orlando, Florida. And they lived downtown, beautiful section of old Orlando, Florida. And uh, he he bought the train ticket. He he got out the train station. It was in the middle of the night. He walked home. It was like 4 o'clock in the morning. We got there and he's walking down the street, the old brick paved street, Bradshaw Terrace. And he walked up to the old Spanish style home that they lived in. And he walked up the sidewalk, went to the door, and he started to open up the door. And as he reached down to turn the doorknob, the doorknob turned. And he, at four o'clock in the morning, the door opened up, and it was his father who opened the door. And he looked at him, he said, Dad, what are you doing up? He said, I was waiting on you, son. I was waiting on you. I was looking for you, son. See, that's a kind of attitude. That's that's a redefining of the father. That's many people, especially our culture today. God is painted as this gray-haired man sitting up in heaven, who's an ornery old gray-haired man, and uh, there's a, he's got a piano hanging over the head of everybody on the face of the earth, and his fingers over the button, and he's just waiting to push the button to drop the head, uh, to drop the piano on your head if you don't do just right. That's God. That's not the picture that the Lord Jesus Christ gives of the Father. This is a Father of restoration who endures rejected love. And so, <laughs> it's, not, it's not the God of the legalist, it's not the God of uh, uh, the modernist. Jesus redefines him. My Father's willing to suffer the agony of rejected love, He redefines sin. He redefine sin. See, The uh, the good folks here. Remember, you got the two groups. You got the good folks. You got the bad folks. You got the righteous. You got the unrighteous. You got the Pharisees and scribes. You got the uh, publicans. You got the sinners. And uh, Jesus redefines things. The Pharisees and scribes—they we're going to make it based on human achievement. We're going to get in good with God based on our righteousness. And with our righteousness, let me say this. So let me stop and say this. The Pharisees and the scribes, the good people, are represented by the elder son who stayed at home and who always kept his father's commandments. They always did the right thing. So let me let let you in on a little secret. Both of these young men, neither one of them loved the father. They loved the father's stuff. Even the boy that stayed at home. We see that by his reaction. The boy that stayed at home obeyed the father the whole time. He did it not because of his love for the father. We see that he doesn't love the father by the way he reacts to the father at the end. He didn't love the father. He loved the father's stuff at the beginning. They both love the father's stuff. They don't love the father. It changes for the younger son. It's not about the father's stuff anymore. It's his father. But they, bo- but they believed in different ways of controlling the father stuff. And there are some people in this world that believe, if I live good enough, I can obligate God to do this for me. If I live good enough, God will give me more stuff. If I live good enough, things are going to go well for me. But let me tell you, friends, it's never been about how good you live. It's been about how Christ lived. Always always we don't serve god in order to obligate him and motivate him to do for us that's not the reason that we serve him and let me say this we can never live good enough to merit all of the blessings of god now listen they that come into god must believe that he is he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him i understand that but i'm telling you the basis of your blessings ultimately are not your goodness they're god's goodness And Jesus said, if you serve God only for what you can get out of him, then you're just as lost as the younger brother is. And that's what the Pharisees were about. Keeping the law so we can get things from God. They were lost in their sins. So Jesus says you're both wrong. Those two groups. The elder brother says the good people are in and everyone else is out. Well, the only problem is there are no good people by nature, as the brother preached. Solomon said, there is not a just man. Ecclesiastes 7.2, there's not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. Paul said in Romans 3, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. It's never been about our goodness. It's always been about our Father and his love. So both of them are trying to control the Father's stuff, one by living recklessly and the other by keeping the big tent. That's it. So, the Pharisee obeys God to get things, and the disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, who sees the Savior, they obey God just to experience God, not to get things. So, why 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 would a person obey God just not to get things? Because they've seen. Listen to me. Here it is, and I'm done. They've seen something that have melted. It's not, it's not about pleasure. It's not about pleasure. It's not about the next party. It's not about feeling good. It, you know, it's not about success. It's not about, and it's not about things. It's not about stuff. It's not about getting from God. So why do we serve Him? Because we see something. We see a story. There's a truth that melts our heart melts our heart. You say, whenever you see that what it cost God to hear, the story is what it cost God to bring you home. What it cost God to bring you home. Well, what it cost to bring this young boy home. You say, well, it didn't cost him anything to come home. Now listen to me very carefully on this. We're done. What did it cost? What did it cost to bring this young boy home? Here's the message of the parable. Well, you look at. It and say, well, it didn't cost anything. The father canceled the debt, right? It was free. It didn't cost him anything. <laughs> the kid came home with the desire to compensate, right? Restitution, but the father says, no. The father says, no, get the, get the best robe. And that would be a robe that would be an heirloom robe, very pricey, it would have been passed down from generation to generation. Put the ring on his finger. Precious metal. We're going to give him immediate value. He's dirty. Put the robe on him. We're going to cover him. He needs immediate value and worth. So we're going to give him immediate value and worth with precious metal. And then we're going to celebrate his return. We're going to kill the fatted calf. That costs somebody something. His return was not cheap. Now listen, friends. Your salvation, salvation by the grace of God, it's free to you, but it's costly to God. It doesn't cost you anything, but salvation's anything but cheap. It doesn't, so let me say this. It doesn't cost the young boy who comes home anything, but it costs somebody an awful lot. And here's the message of the gospel. And at the very end, Jesus gives us a hint of who it really cost. (laughs) At the very end, Jesus gives us a hint of who it cost to bring this boy home. Whenever he said, in the parable, he says that the father tells the oldest son. You remember what he tells the oldest son? When the oldest son says, well, you never did this for me. You never got a robe. You never got a of calf. Never got a ring. Never got all those things. You remember what the father said? Everything I have is yours. Okay, so very quickly, go back to the beginning of the parable. He divided unto them his living, right? So I don't know if you ever thought about this before or not, but at, this, at the end of the parable, the father doesn't own anything really. Isn't that amazing? Why did not the father own anything? Because he's given it to both of his boys. He's divested himself of it. Everything that he had, two-thirds went to the elder son, one-third went to the younger son. So whenever the father said, look, okay, you didn't get the, the robe and the and, and the fatted calf and the ring, he said, I get it. He said, but remember this, everything I have is yours. You own all of this. It's yours. So... It's not free. Somebody has to pay for the younger son to come home. The elder son, it cost him. That was his robe. That was his ring. That was his calf. And he's furious about it. You see that? The father just thought, he'll be happy. I'll give it to the younger son. The elder son's upset because he's giving his stuff away. (laughs) Giving his stuff away. So here's really what... This is all about. So, what would a true elder brother have done? What would a true elder brother have done in this case of the lost younger son? A true elder brother, a long time ago, would have seen the broken heart of the father and would have watched the father. He would have heard the father cry himself to sleep at night over his son that has gone away and is living a destructive lifestyle. And a true elder brother would have said, Listen, Father, I can't bear your tears anymore. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go searching in the surrounding cities. And I'm not coming home until I've found my brother. I'm going to go and get him. I'm going to go fetch him. And I'm going to go bring him back. I'm not going to be satisfied until I've found him. That's what a true elder brother would have done. But this poor kid didn't have one, did he? Here's the message of the gospel. Praise God, you and I did. You and I did. We needed someone to come find us. We had sold ourselves. 10,000 talents in debt, not a farthing to pay. We were lost. We were gone from the Father's house. But we didn't need an elder brother just to go, uh, just to leave from this city and to go to leave from uh, Goodlitzville, if that's where, and go to Gallatin or to go to Nashville. We, we didn't need our elder brother just to go from city to city. Our elder brother needed to come all the way from heaven down to earth to find us. And if we weren't going to be brought back to the Father at the cost of the wallet of the elder brother, we would have to be brought back to the Father by the cost of the life of the elder brother. If he was to come and find us and bring us back to the Father, he'd have to leave heaven, come to the earth, and he'd have not just give up his wallet, he'd have to give up his life. And so if uh, we're to be clothed, if we're to have merit and worth, And so you have to understand that on the cross, Jesus was stripped naked. Can you imagine that? On the cross, Jesus was stripped naked so that you could be clothed before the Father. And you could be just as spotless and sinless as the Son of God is. That's how God brings his prodigals home. Do you know that on the cross, the only time that Jesus ever called his Father God was on the cross whenever he called him my God, my God. He didn't call him Father for the first time. And you know why he called him God? Because fellowship had been severed between him and his God. He called him God. The relationship of Father was not acknowledged while he's paying for our sins. He can only call him God on the cross. So today, you and I can call him Father. Isn't that amazing? You don't have to be afraid to go to God. You don't have to be afraid to go to your father. Jesus was rejected by his father, so you wouldn't be. And that's the reason that the father doesn't wait on you to come up with your best plan of restitution. Jesus already paid it, as our brother so sweetly preached this morning. Your elder brother's done for you what you could not do for yourself. And because everything he had was everything that the father had, and he shares it with us, he brings us home at enormous expense to himself. That's what it costs to get you back. Now, that's the story. <laughs> that is the story that drives true Christianity and true service to God. Listen. I am not up here serving the Lord because of anything I'm expecting God to do for me. I'm up here trying to serve the Lord because of what he's already done for me 2,000 years ago. What my elder brother did for me. As I love to say, lived the life that I couldn't live. Died the death that I couldn't die. So that I could go to a place I'd never get on my own. You know where that is? My father's house in which are many mansions. And I had sold myself for naught and lived like a pauper under sin. But thank God now I'm an heir of God and a joint heir with my elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. If that does not motivate you to serve him, I don't know what will. If that doesn't pull at the heart of a prodigal, I don't know what will. It's not what you've done, it's what Christ has done. Don't wait till you get worthy. You'll never be worthy. He was And that's your right and privilege to come as our dear brother publishes the open door of the church. Don't shrink away. Jesus has paid it all, all the debt you owe. May God bless you and thank you for letting me come and be with you. I love you all so much.